Christmas movies. Hey, about, about three or four weeks ago, we started a kind of a series of talks, and it's really built around a statement that you guys have heard me say a long, long time. I, I've said this statement a long time, and again, I've used it a long time, and I'm going to continue to use it because, again, it's one of those things that just, it, it just impacts so many of us. And these talks have been built around this statement. I'm going to put it up so that you can see it. And the statement goes like this. If you don't learn to transform the pain, you're just going to take it with you. If you don't learn to deal with the things that are a part of your past, then you just continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over. There's another way, and again, I'm not going to put this up so you can see it, but there's another way to kind of say that. It kind of goes like this. Your past is not your past if it's impacting your present. Your past isn't your past if it's impacting who you are today. So again, if you don't learn to transform, the key word there is transform. How do you transform? And again, a couple of weeks ago, we said it all starts with confession. It starts with you and I realizing that hurt and guilt, did you hear me? Hurt and guilt are a response to the sin that we've committed, or it's a response to the sins that have committed, been committed against us. It's really admitting that we are hurt and broken and lonely and confused. And even though people come up to us and ask us, how are you? And you naturally just say, fine. It's really about realizing that, you know what? You're not fine. And the things in your life are not fine at all. Now, two weeks ago, we said that confession kind of brings us to a pivotal place. And we looked at David's prayer about confession, and, and we said it brings us to a pivotal place where we have to decide which of two paths are we going to take. The path of living our life and trying to please God and working on our sin on our side, you know, kind of do what we need to do, what we feel like we need to do, or are we going to trust God with our sin? Which path will we take? The path of pleasing God? Or the path of trusting God? Am I going to work on my sin issues? Or am I going to trust God with my sin issues? Now, when we talked about that, many of you said, you know what? I'm going to take the path of trusting God. Because I realized I'm not designed to deal with my sin issues. It's, it's not me. It's Christ in me. And for those that were here last week, we talked about what that looks like. Because we talked about what I think is one of the most important things that you need an understanding as it relates to the Christian life, and that's forgiveness. And again, if you did not hear last week's message on forgiveness, I would strongly encourage you to scroll back on our Facebook page or go to thecrossroadslebanoncom forward slash media and listen to last week's message. Now, let me just say, today we continue. And as we continue... I just have to tell you and be honest with you, there are other topics, there are topics that I like talking about more than I like talking about other topics. But I'm just going to tell you, look, at, look, look me right in the eyes, I ain't scared of any topic. I am not scared of talking about anything. 
but I just prefer some topics over other topics. And, and with that being said, when, when Crossroads officially kicked off as a church in, in 2006, there was honestly one topic that I wasn't going to have to talk about very much. But here's the thing. God's been doing something in me, and when God does something in me, you catch it. You know what I'm saying? You're going to catch the brunt of what God's doing. And I've realized this. And again, I don't think you'll hear any other pastor say, about, say this. I've realized that when I refuse to talk about a topic or don't want to talk about a topic, I'm doing exactly what I talked about last week. By refusing or not wanting to talk about certain topics, especially the topic we're going to look at today, in essence, I believe that I am sinning against you by not wanting to talk about certain things. And my conviction with this really grew when I ran across a quote, and the quote goes, it's not going to be on the screen, but uh, the quote goes something like this. When we don't talk about money in the church, see, some of you already went, ooh, I just don't even like that. But when we don't talk about money in the church, we're robbing the church of a biblical indicator of spiritual health, which is unbelievably important and valuable in this cultural context. Now listen to me, I want you to hear me, I want you to hear me. In the context of the culture in which you and I live, I don't have to look at your billfold. I don't have to look at your checkbook. Because I can visually see, and you can visually see, by looking at someone and the life that they are living. Let me give you an example. If people hate you, because you're a Christian, because you follow Jesus, and you continue to follow Jesus, that's a pretty good indicator to people that you are serious when it comes to being a Christian. If you can be murdered for loving Jesus, and you still wear your I Love Jesus t-shirt, that probably means that people are not going to have to wonder about really where you stand. I mean, they're not going to say, well, I don't really know about him. I don't really know about her. They're, they're kind of a hypocrite. They're not going to have to wonder because you're wearing the T-shirt and you're living the life. Because if you know that you can be murdered for loving Jesus and you still wear the T-shirt, then there's no doubt in people's minds that you're serious when it comes to loving Jesus. Now, I want you to see this. We live in a society, especially right now, where everybody thinks they know. 
but very few people live it out. We live in a society where everybody has an opinion, but hardly anybody truly walks it out. So in our society, and in the context of our culture, how you spend your money becomes an unbelievable indicator of what your spiritual health really is. And let me say, how you spend your money is a great indicator of your spiritual health according to what the Scripture says. The Bible says that how you spend your money is a great indicator of your health, spiritually speaking. So today, silence fell over the room. <laughs> I'm going to talk about money. But as I talk about money from the Bible, I'm not asking you for your money. I'm not making an appeal for your money. I'm making an appeal for your heart. Because you see, how you spend and how you see money, it just reveals in you what you truly value. And not only that, it will reveal whether you truly, actually trust God which is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Now, I probably should stop here and go ahead and be honest with you this morning because I know what's going through your mind. Daddy knows you. Some of you are sitting there saying, I saw two leaves fall yesterday from the tree in the front yard. I knew I should have stayed home today. I could have raked those two leaves up because fall is coming. That's what some of you think. Some of you said, I, I would have given anything not to have to listen to this message. Some of you are also saying, you know what, I, I, normally, normally so-and-so sits beside me, and they're not here, but they really need to be here to hear this. So let me bring this home by telling you a quick story. Back in 1995, really in the pinnacle of my business career, I decided that I want to get a new car. And I don't know if many of you remember, it seems like 1995 was like yesterday. Does it, does it, can anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? It seems like it was like yesterday. I, I, I mean, 1995, BMW came out with some of the most amazing models of their cars that I had ever seen. Does anybody remember James Bond and the original the, the Z3 when he came out with that? You know, James Bond, I mean, he looks good driving anything. I went down to BMW of Nashville, and I actually drove that Z3. And I want to tell you, that Z3, me in that Z3, it looked good on me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it looked really, really good. And I went down, and I drove one. And I came back, and I got online and started spending the rest of the day looking at cars. But after I spent all my afternoon and evening looking at cars, I just want to be honest with you and tell you I got kind of, I got, I got convicted. I got convicted because it was kind of like God was saying, Randy, you don't really need a new car. 
The car you have is just fine. See, what you want, Randy, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to me. What you want is that momentary jolt that you get at the red light. And you pull up, and somebody's going to look at you in your BMW. And they're going to say, ooh, look at that car. If he's driving a BMW, then he must be really, really important. See, Randy, it's really not about a car. It's what that momentary jolt of driving that car does for you. And it wasn't about the car. It was about how I was going to feel when people looked at me. Now, with that being said, I want you to look at something that we find recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Now look at what he says. Watch out. Jesus said this, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You notice something there? Jesus talks about greed. He doesn't do this same kind of talking about adultery, does he? He doesn't talk to us about adultery because here's the thing. If you're sleeping with somebody else's spouse, you know you're committing adultery. If you're sleeping with somebody else's husband or wife, you know you're committing adultery. But I want to put something up that I want you to see because I think it's important in what we just read from the Gospel of Luke. Here's what I want you to see. Look behind me. The thing that you really need to understand is that greed, it kind of sneaks up on you. And Jesus knew that. So knowing that greed sneaks up on us, I really think this is the place that we need to start today because we need to understand that in what Jesus was talking about just a moment ago, we need to understand that Jesus is talking about us. The person that he's talking about could easily be you or me, whether we want to admit that or not. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Knowing that that could be you or me that Jesus is talking about in the verses that we just read, I think all of us in this room and everybody that's watching or still watching <laughs> online, I think we need to, to, to kind of approach today from the standpoint 
of saying, you know what, I'm just going to keep my heart open to what Randy has to say. Because maybe the reason I'm here in this auditorium or listening or watching online is because maybe God has something that he wants to say to me about this subject as it relates to my life. Look, look at 2 Corinthians with me this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts. Uh, I love this. I mean, I, I think we just read right over this. I want you to look at what it says. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. We're not generous under compulsion, are we? We're not generous when we're reluctant, are we? The heart of a transformed, mature believer in Jesus Christ does not go, well, I need to, I need to make God happy. I need to please God. So I'm going to give him my 10%. I'm going to give him my 10%. The motive of our giving is not pleasing God. It's not compulsion. That is not the heart by which you and I, as followers of Jesus, are generous. Instead, there is a transformation of our souls when the grace and mercy of God is freely lavished upon us in Jesus Christ. Now listen to what I'm saying. As we experience the generosity of God, then we become generous ourselves. Now, now, let me say this. I think there is a fundamental message. There's a fundamental Christian message. And this message gets hijacked all the time. I'm going to put it up on the screen so that you understand it, and then I'm going to kind of expound on it. Here's the message that I think gets hijacked all the time. That message is this. You are saved through no merit of your own. You're, you're thinking, well, what, how do you think that gets hijacked? The message is simple, but I'm telling you that that message gets continuously hijacked all the time because people are always trying to add something to it. Continuously, I see people wanting to add something to the cross. Well, Randy, it's the cross and this. It's the cross and that. No, it's not. It's the cross. That's it. It's just the cross. You are saved through no merit of your own. You have been saved by grace through faith. And, and listen, listen, I don't think you've understood this. Even the faith that you have right now, whether it's big or small as a mustard seed, that faith 
was given to you by God. So that none of you could boast. I mean, again, this afternoon, maybe in your quiet time, look at Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. You'll see that. So here's my question. Do you see God's generosity in that? It's like, what did you do to be saved? It's the cross and this, it's the cross. No, it's not. Whatever you want to put in that blank. You were saved by grace alone through faith alone. That's the foundation of generosity. That's the foundation of Christian generosity. There's a guy by the name of Christian Smith, a sociologist at Notre Dame University, who conducted what I would say is the definitive study on giving and Christians of our culture, our day. And you will find a lot of that information that he compiled in a book that was published called Passing the Plate. But one of the things that he found was that most of us as followers of Jesus, most of us as Christians, we live with something called, or he called it, a chronic guilt when it comes to money, particularly giving. Here's what fascinated me. Here's what Christian Smith said. He said, we were struck by what seemed in many American Christians as a kind of comfortable guilt. They were aware that they were not giving as God would want them to give. Initially, they can say all the right stuff, but under the surface, they're guilty of not giving like God would want them to give. But it's a comfortable guilt. They keep that awareness of not giving like they know that God wants them to give. They keep that at a low enough level of discomfort so that they don't actually have to increase their giving. In other words, most followers of Jesus live with a low-level chronic financial guilt. Kind of like this. There was a man who was living with this guilty conscience. And the reason he had a guilty conscience is because he had cheated on his taxes. He felt so guilty because he had cheated on his taxes that he finally got to a place in his life where he wrote to the IRS. And he said this. Here's what he said in the letter. I have not been able to sleep. Because last year when I filled out my taxes, I actually misrepresented my income. Enclosed is $500. I'll send you the rest of the money if I can't continue to sleep. Listen to me. I don't think guilt is a good long-term motivation for generosity. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm always honest. I'm transparent. You can see right through me. 
There are times that I get frustrated in the lack of giving and participation and attending and serving in this church and in the church in general, the whole church, the big church, the world church, the, all the churches, the Emmanuels, the Journeys, the, all of them, the corporate world church. I get totally frustrated. And, and you know what? I want to get up here sometimes and I want to use guilt as a way to motivate you. But I don't think guilt is a good long-term motivation for generosity. There are times that guilt serves a good purpose. But I've never seen anybody over the long haul get tripped into a life of great generosity by being guilty. By what I call chronic guilt. Because I think what is needed is a personal, internal, Jesus-powered vision of what the generous life truly looks like. Let me tell you, Crossroads, you need to live in an awareness of the provision of God all around you. Every day you need to look at the provision of God all around you, and that's the awareness that you need to live in. Let, let me go ahead and back to verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Here's what it says. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Now that's really interesting. I'm going to come back to that. Look at what it says. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, there's a wordplay here that I think many people don't notice. Where he says, he who supplies the seed is also the one who supplies the bread. Now think about that. He who supplies the seed is also the one who supplies the bread. Why does he say that? What's, what's he doing in the text? I'll tell you. He's breaking down the myth of ownership. Some guy says, oh, I baked a loaf of bread. Well, where did you get the bread? Well, I used the wheat to bake the bread. Well, where did you get the wheat? I, I, I got the wheat from the seed. Well, where did you get the seed? Ah, see, it's, it's all his. It's all mine. So in the verses, God is attacking the myth of ownership. So grace is the foundation of generosity. But that foundation is built on the fact that you and I don't own anything. We are not owners of anything. We are stewards. L look behind me. Here, it's, it, it's, it's really like five words. I want you to see it. We don't own, we steward. I don't care what kind of car you're driving, what kind of house you live in, what kind of apparatus you use in, in, in your job tomorrow. I don't care. You don't own anything. You steward. 
That phrase you see behind me means that you don't own anything. We simply steward what we've been given. And I have to admit, this is a fundamental shift in the way that most people normally think. I mean, think about it. What do you have that God hasn't given you? What do you have that isn't his? I have a friend who a couple of years ago was telling me a story about these headphones that he had bought his son. And his son loved these headphones so much that he wore them around his neck like a piece of jewelry. I, th I think they're those red beats by Dr. Dre. And they kind of became an ornament on his body. And even when he wasn't listening to the headphones, even when the headphones weren't plugged into a power source where he could hear the sound. He still wore them. That's how much he valued those headphones. Now, here's what happened. My, my friend told me, he said, hey, I, I was going by the kitchen table one day, and those headphones were laying on the kitchen table. And he said, I'd never heard them. I just bought them because he wanted them. And I picked them up, and I plugged them into a power source, which gave me the sound that you could hear in those headphones and he said randy they were absolutely amazing and if you've got beats by dr dre i have a pair of the wireless ones not the really good ones i were like 99 bucks but anyway so the, the these that he had were really expensive he said they were just amazing and he said but here i am with the headphones on and my son comes in and he looks at me and he says dad what are you doing those are mine To which my friend said, wait, 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 hold up. Who do you think bought those for you? Who gave those to you as a gift? He said, son, I don't think you understand. You don't own anything. That backpack that you're go going to wear to school, take that off. That's mine. Those clothes that you're wearing, take them off. Do you want some lunch? then go get you a job. Because you see, the truth is simple. His father had given him everything that he had. And that story in and of itself, even though it's not biblical, really kind of brings us to what I would say is the bottom line. And the bottom line is this. It's a question. What does it look like when we trust God? What does it look like when you trust God with the things that he's given you, the things that you have in your life, whether that's a bunch or whether that's just a little? What does it look like? And I'm going to show you what I believe it looks like. Trusting God really means this. As God brings blessing, you're not overwhelmed by that blessing. But as God chooses to take things away, then you're not threatened by the fact that God is taking things away from you. As God decides to give things and to take things away from us, we're not overwhelmed or threatened. And the reason we're not overwhelmed or threatened is because we have to understand those things are not ours in the first place. Now think about it. Do you know how many of your fears do you understand how many of the complexities 
of your life and how much of your stress revolves around this idea of money? Let me ask you, do you realize the freedom that you could experience if you would just let go of the stuff? Let's go back to the scripture. Pick up at verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved, of your, proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I want to show you two things that happen when Christians walk in generosity. Look at these two things. When you and I walk in generosity, when Christians, followers of Jesus, when we walk in generosity, two things happen. Needs are met. And God is glorified. It's that simple. Needs are met and God is glorified. It's very simple. People are, poor people are taken care of. Hungry people are fed. Sick, sick people are, are given the health care that they need. And as we walk in generosity, listen to me, the community in which God has placed us, that community is transformed. Now, let me just say something. That's something that this church has been pretty good at until about two years ago. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like COVID just, and I don't want to talk about it anymore, but I'm just telling you so you know. It's just like COVID just knocked us off our rockers. It, it pushed us off the rails. And we lost our focus. For some of you that you don't know, Crossroads has literally started churches all over the world. I think we've started four or five churches in Africa. We've educated 120 pastors in Africa. We put them through seminary. We've helped people in Haiti. We've helped people in Nicaragua. We have helped in the past to provide health care to single moms and their children locally we fed people through the 100 box project locally hundreds and thousands of meals during the holidays we built we built wheelchair ramps for people who could not get into their house because their health was declining or something had happened to them and we would send a group of people over at our expense to build a wheelchair ramp, expecting nothing from those people, just our way of helping them. When you walk in generosity, needs are met, and God is glorified. Last weekend on Saturday, we had about 15 volunteers come alongside Sherry's Hope, an organization in our community who does great things. No reason for us to invent the wheel. We just said, how can we help you? And we sent a team over and we just said, we'll do whatever. And we cleaned up. It's not a glamorous job. Needs are met. God is glorified. 
Now, let me tell you what we did in the first service. And, and I couldn't do it in both services, but I want you to know what happened. Benny Nolan, the executive director of Joseph's Storehouse, attends church here. He comes to the 830 service. With your giving, those of you that faithfully give to Crossroads, we wrote a check this morning to Joseph's Storehouse for several thousand dollars to enable them to buy an entire truckload of food that will be distributed to those people who come to Joseph's Storehouse because they don't have enough food. There's no reason for you to invent the wheel. There's no reason for us to invent the wheel. We just said, these people have faithfully given to Crossroads, and as an outreach, we're going to give to somebody who's already doing something good. So let me just say, through your faithful giving, you literally bought an 18-wheeler full of food today that will be given to people in our community. Now, see, if I didn't tell you that, you wouldn't know that. And again, I, I understand you give as unto the Lord, but sometimes you just need to understand what's happening. It's just not paying the bills here. It's helping, it's helping Compassionate Hands. It's helping the Help Center. It's helping uh, Joseph's Storehouse. It's helping Sherry's Hope. It's helping other people in our community. When you give, you don't give to just what happens here. You give through the church, not to the church. And we have our eyes on the prize, and we know where the needs are, and we're going to give what you give, not all of it, but we're going to give some of that to other people who are already doing great things. But here's the thing. This is where it can all kind of get goosey. Because some of you right now are going, okay, Randy, what's the bottom line? What is it that you want me to give? The issue is that God's after your heart. That's what God's after this morning. He's after your heart. It's not how much you give. What's the state of your heart? What's going on in that spirit of yours? When you give, are you reluctant to give? Do you give because you're compelled to give? Do you have a generous spirit or do you not give anything at all? That's what you have to get to the bottom of. Okay, here's my 10%. Just leave me alone. I want you to hear me this morning. Because this is something that a lot of us need to hear and you probably have never heard this. The tithe was never designed to be Here's what you give, so here's what you get. Here's what you get, and here's what I get. Instead, the tithe is a symbolic gesture of recognizing that it's all God's. So if you're asking me this morning, should you and I tithe? I'm going to tell you probably not. You and I shouldn't tithe because we should give more than a tithe. 
one of the most reliable financial statistics that exists is that lower income people give away a higher percentage of their income. So it goes without saying that you've heard me say this for 16 years. And the thing that you've heard me say is that the more you get, the harder it's going to be for you to be generous. And I'm seeing that right now in this church. See, if you can't be generous with $22,000 a year, you're not going to be generous with $42,000 a year. And if you can't be generous with $42,000 a year, you won't be generous with $142,000 a year. If you can't be generous with what you have now, you are never going to be generous when you have more. Stop lying to yourself. If you believe that you will give more when you get more, because I'm telling you, it's a lie. It's just not true. Because I can look back at my own life and tell you that in 1995, at the pinnacle of my career, I had it all. But I can also tell you that I can look back at my life and there was that season when all I had was a 1968 Ford T-Bird with a 165,000 miles on it and the clothes on my back. And it was pretty easy for me then to understand that I could be a good steward. But then I look at 1995. I owned four different companies with locations all over Middle Tennessee. My company was even doing business out of Knoxville. I had taken one company that that first year did less than $200,000 a year, and I had grown it into those four companies with all those locations, with trucks driving thousands of dollars of gasoline all over the state of Tennessee, Kentucky, and Alabama. And that company that that first year had done less than $200,000 in the pinnacle of those years in business, that same company or companies did just less than $30 million a year. And I had all kinds of assets. And I'll tell you, the more that I had, the more I wanted to keep. Look at it like this. If I had 10 $1 bills, it's kind of so-so. But if I had 10 $10 bills, kind of feel like I got something. And it really comes down to this. We have to be more strategic than ever before. 
to make sure that as followers of Jesus, that we are going to be generous. So here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. Start with a percentage. And then move it up at 1% every year. And see, that's, that's where some of you, that's what this is about today. For some of you, this isn't just about you today becoming a percentage giver. For example, let's, let's just take two guys. Both of these guys say they believe in exercise. One of those guys does it when he remembers. One of those guys does it when he has time. One of those guys does it when he feels like it. But the other guy builds it into his schedule. And he does it regularly, whether he feels like doing it or not. He builds exercise into his, to, to his schedule, and he says, I don't care whether I feel like it or not, I'm going to do it. Now, let me ask you, which one of those guys is in better shape? It's the second guy. Which one really believes in exercise? It's the one who builds it into his life. Two guys and a dentist. The first guy, every time he goes to the dentist, he makes sure that he schedules his next appointment to the dentist. The other guy just kind of waits till there's a problem. Or he waits till there's, you know, he just feels like he's in the mood to go to the dentist. Let me ask you this. Which one of those two guys keeps their teeth longer? It's the one who builds going to the dentist into his schedule. I, I, I want to show you the point. Here's the point. What matters to our hearts is something we're going to build into our life. What matters to our hearts, we build into our lives. Paul said this to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now look at what Paul said. We're going to leave that up there. What Paul is saying is get away. Get with God. Get serious about this. Make a decision about what you're going to give in your heart. So let me ask you, what, what is God calling you to give? Don't put that giving in the sporadic. I wonder how much I'm going to have left so that I can give. I wonder what I'm going to feel like if I do this. When it comes to giving, don't do that. Be intentional. Build giving into the structure of your everyday life. 
I'm not going to start giving because the pastor did this amazing message. I'm not going to give because they showed me pictures of starving kids in Ethiopia. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it for that. I'm not doing it because it feels good. I'm not going to start giving because I want to please God. But I'm doing this because of the cross. I'm going to start giving because of God's generosity to me. I'm doing this because I'm a steward, not an owner. I'm doing this because there's been a transformation of my soul. When the grace and mercy of God is freely lavished upon us in Jesus Christ. Listen, listen. Do, do you know what happens as we experience the generosity of God? We become generous ourselves. When we experience the generosity of God, and you have experienced it, you've probably led, lived your life with that low level of chronic guilt, but you've experienced the generosity of God. And what happens when we experience the generosity of God is that we become generous ourselves. It was because of generous people who attend this church that we could stroke a check today to Joseph's storehouse for several thousand dollars. And they will buy an 18-wheeler full of food that will be distributed in our community. Needs are met. God is glorified. Amen? Needs are met, and God is glorified. You know what I wish we could do? I wish we could write a check every week to Joseph's storehouse and buy a truckload of food every week to feel, feed people in our community. And we can do that when we become the people that God has called us to be, the generous people who recognize the generosity of God in our lives. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much for the illumination of your word on a very difficult topic for most people. It's hard to, to, to listen sometimes to somebody talk about this. But God, again, like I said, this is not about money, really. It's really about the heart. It's about what you truly value. So God, this morning, let us understand and see from your perspective that what you're truly after is our hearts. And out of the abundance of the heart, everything is seen and spoken. So God, this morning, we just ask you, we just say, here, have it, have it. You can, you can have our hearts. Because when we give our hearts to you, you can do what only you can do. Transform us. Let, let us see this for what it truly is. 
so that we become the people that you have called us to be. What would happen in this community, every head bowed, every eye closed, if Crossroads just shut down next week? Would people know a difference? Would the spiritual climate of this community change because we were no longer here? I believe it would. And I believe as the days and weeks come in front of us, as we become more generous because of the generosity of God, that the spirit, the spiritual climate will change even more. But it's going to mean you and I being the people that God has called us to be. Walking in the generosity because God has been generous to us. God, we thank you and we say here, have it, you have it. As we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Stand and sing that with us. You can have it all, Lord.